This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Broken borders. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. New numbers show the extent of America's illegal immigration crisis. According to the U.S. Border Patrol, 7.3 million migrants have entered this country illegally since President Biden took office. That's a number that's greater than the population of 36 states. Former President Donald Trump talked about the border crisis in a Fox News town hall last night in Greenville. South Carolina. We have people coming in from everywhere. They interviewed some people last night. Where are you from? Congo. Where did you live? Prison. They're emptying out their prisons. There's no greater destruction than what's happening at our border. During the town hall, Trump challenged President Biden to a series of debates. There are three on the schedule starting in September. Trump's lone GOP challenger, Nikki Haley, said yesterday she's not going anywhere and will remain in the race until the last votes are tallied. Correspondent Garrett Hay. The political math for Nikki Haley looks bad in South Carolina and even worse in the states that follow. But yesterday, she made clear that she's going to keep fighting. She said she has to warn her party that while Donald Trump may well win this primary, he would only lose to President Biden again. The South Carolina primary is set for Saturday. Breaking news from overseas today. An American citizen has been taken into custody in Russia. It's adding to already heightened tensions with Moscow. The 33-year-old Russian ballerina became a U.S. citizen in 2021. Her mother is pleading for help. She is not safe there, and if we do not help her... So she will spend the rest of her life in jail. Jeff Hahn is a Russian expert. The arresting of American citizens is something I think we're going to see continue, especially because Russia increasingly is engaging in hostage diplomacy. The dual citizen accused of treason by the Putin regime for raising funds to support Ukraine. The White House is now warning all Americans to leave Russia immediately. President Biden will announce new sanctions against Russia on Friday. This for the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who passed away under suspicious circumstances at a Siberian prison last week. White House officials say these sanctions will target Russia's defense sector. Well, it's very naive uh, and even delusional of Biden to think that sanctions are going to change Putin behavior. That's Russian affairs expert Rebecca Koffler. She says the key to changing Putin's behavior is to re-establish relations with Moscow. And at this point, the relations are so low that I don't expect any improvements. And Biden has actually boxed himself in. Okay, so unfortunately, until the next president comes in, there's no hope to change Putin's behavior. The U.S. and its allies last sanctioned the Putin regime a couple of years ago when Russia invaded Ukraine. The U.S. has vetoed a resolution at the U.N., which called for an immediate ceasefire to the war in Gaza. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield says the resolution would have negatively impacted sensitive hostage negotiations with Hamas. Rabbi Robert Moreas. We all want a ceasefire, but this ceasefire has to have two parties who want to cease. We know that their charter, their foundational document says that they want 
to destroy the entire state of Israel and kill as many Jews there as possible. A new deal being negotiated by the U.S., Israel, Egypt, and Qatar would pause fighting in Gaza for at least six weeks and allow humanitarian aid to enter that Palestinian-controlled territory. President Biden's younger brother James is facing questions on Capitol Hill today as House Republicans push forward with their impeachment inquiry into the president. At issue is whether the younger Biden used his brother's name to peddle influence and make money. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley. There are plenty of articles as to this open influence peddling. His brother didn't even try to make this subtle. I mean, he actually hearkened his connections to his brother, his ability to use that name on his official pitches. And so President Biden had to know that his son and his brother were influence peddling. James Biden is testifying before the House Oversight Committee as it tries to connect the dots between the president and his family business dealings. We're learning more today about the arrest of an FBI informant tied to Hunter Biden. Prosecutors say that informant was also tied to Russian intelligence officials. Alexander Smirnov appeared yesterday in a Las Vegas federal court to face charges over allegedly lying to the FBI, particularly about claiming that Joe Biden accepted bribes to benefit Hunter's businesses. Now, it's a claim that's central to the impeachment probe and one often repeated by Republicans. But the bombshell came when David Weiss, that same special counsel who has charged Hunter Biden, alleged that Smirnoff lied and that he admitted to working with Russian intelligence officials involved in passing on a story about Hunter Biden. Now, prosecutors allege the contacts were, quote, extensive and extremely recent, and that he's, quote, actively peddling new lies that could impact the U.S. elections. Correspondent Ryan Nobles, a Catholic couple in Indiana, asking the Supreme Court to hold the Hoosier state accountable for keeping their child out of their home after they declined to use his chosen name and pronouns. Mary and Jeremy Cox were investigated by the Indiana Department of Child Services after refusing to refer to their son in a manner that was inconsistent with his biological sex. The state courts allowed Indiana to keep the child from living with his parents due to their disagreement with his gender identity, but the Indiana Attorney General says the child was taken away from the home because he had an eating disorder that was not being properly addressed. An attorney with the Beckett Fund, which is representing the Coxes in court, says if this can happen in Indiana, it can happen anywhere. New developments in connection to last week's deadly shooting at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. Two adult men have been charged with murder. This is in addition to the two juveniles who also face charges. Dominic Miller of Kansas City and Lindell Mays of Raytown, Missouri now face charges of second-degree murder, armed criminal action, and unlawful use of a weapon. Both men were also among the nearly two dozen shot during the chaos. Lisa Lopez Galvan, a mother of two and popular radio DJ, died in the shooting. Charlie DeMar in Kansas City. Cell phone video captured desperate beachgoers in Fort Lauderdale yesterday trying to rescue a little girl with their hands. The five-year-old got trapped in a sand hole while digging with a friend. Sadly, the child could not be saved. This woman says it serves as a reminder to parents, know where your kids are at all times. I'm absolutely shocked. I had no idea that something could happen where it could collapse underneath someone just hanging out and playing on the beach. 
Shocking. A seven-year-old boy who was with the girl at the time was buried up to his chest in sand. He survived. A satellite the size of a city bus is returning to Earth today. It's one of the European Space Agency's advanced observation satellites. From 1995 to 2011, it tracked the shrinking polar ice caps. Most of that satellite's already burned up after re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Still to come on the noon report, the assault of a Syracuse teacher. A two-day political pep rally in Binghamton, and a local congressman updates us on his cancer recovery. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. A rather pleasant and serene weather pattern is underway for how long might it last? We'll examine that in the forecast coming up. We'll see you in 10 minutes. All right, see you then. Thank you, Kevin. News where you live next. Despite efforts to crack down on car theft, police in the Buffalo, New York suburbs are seeing an increase in this kind of criminal activity. Vehicle thefts are up in places like Tonawanda, Amherst, Grand Island, and West Seneca. Most of the vehicles are Kias and Hyundais. In the Syracuse area, more than 100 of these vehicles have been stolen since the start of the year. Owners are being reminded to always lock their cars and never leave their keys inside. A new Siena College poll shows how New Yorkers feel about the direction the state is headed in. Family Life's Jeremy Miller. Governor Hochul's favorability and job approval ratings both fell by four points since last month. Most respondents say she's hardworking, but they're divided on whether she's a strong or effective leader, and many say she's out of touch with average New Yorkers. 56% of respondents say both crime and the quality of life in the state are getting worse. Voters ranked cost Cost of living is the biggest issue the state needs to tackle, followed by the migrant crisis, crime, and affordable housing. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. All right, Jeremy, thank you very much. The fallout continues from the brutal assault of a Syracuse, New York school teacher by a parent who was pretending to be a student. It happened last Friday at the Lincoln Middle School. A 31-year-old mother of four accused of entering the school by putting on a hoodie to blend in with the students. Police say she then proceeded to her child's classroom where in front of the other students she began punishing punching the teacher in the face repeatedly. Syracuse School Superintendent Dr. Anthony Davis. Acts of violence have no place in our school, and we are committed to ensuring the safety and security of our educational environment. Davis says the school was warned the night before the incident that a violent confrontation was possible. The teacher suffered a concussion and two fractured bones in her nose. The suspect faces seven years in prison. Teens facing academic challenges have a new lease on life in Pennsylvania. The Keystone State Challenge Academy or KSCA is now accepting applications for its summer program. This intense training gives teens with learning problems a chance at success. It also teaches leadership skills and self-discipline. It's for Pennsylvania residents between the ages of 16 and 18 who are not on a path toward graduation. Applicants must be drug-free and have no felony convictions. You can find out more at dmva.pa.gov. That's dmva.pa.gov. New York Governor Kathy Hochul was at Monroe Community College in Rochester. 
Rochester yesterday. She announced the state will be investing more than $14 million into the school for capital improvement projects. Also, more funds will be devoted to better train New York's future workforce. We're focusing on workforce development at places like this to teach students hands-on skills so they're marketable instantaneously is going to be a game changer. The governor also announced the state plans to invest $25 million to combat childhood poverty in the city of Rochester. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro continued his Main Street Matters tour in Cumberland County yesterday. You can often tell the strength of a community based on the strength of the Main Street in that community. The governor set aside $25 million in the Pennsylvania budget to revitalize Main Streets all across the Keystone State. What we have seen is when you invest in these Main Streets, when you invest in the small businesses, which are the lifeblood of our economy along these Main Streets, you strengthen our communities. The money would be used for projects like street lighting, landscaping, and sidewalk repair. The New York State Republican Party Convention starts today in Binghamton. It's the first time in almost 20 years that the Parlor City has hosted the two-day political pep rally. Among other things, the GOP will be nominating a candidate to take on U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand in November. The Poor People's Campaign is teaming up with Rochester area churches to fight poverty. They'll be holding a rally March 2nd in Albany. Local faith and community leaders held an event yesterday to recruit people for that rally. Pastor Pat DuPont with the Asbury First United Methodist Church. We know that there is a direct connection between between poverty and people who are suffering in our communities and the legislation and the policy that we have in place. The March rally will be one of 32 simultaneous assemblies across the country. Pennsylvania Congressman Glenn Thompson continues his road to recovery after being diagnosed in December with prostate cancer. I'm blessed because I have a great care team and a great prayer team. And I appreciate all the folks at Family Life for being a part of that prayer team. So doing well at this point. The Republican representative says he fully intends to seek re-election in the fall. A week ago Friday, uh, we filed my petitions, uh, over 2,500 signatures from 18 counties. So the filing is complete. Looking forward to being on the ballot for uh, 2024. The 64-year-old was first elected to Congress in 2008 and is currently the chair of the House Agriculture Committee. And did you know five of the snowiest places in these United States are in upstate New York? Here's Family Life, Sarah Harness. So far, winter has been relatively warm in New York, but one or two mild winters can't rewrite the Empire State's history. A new study by Lawn Love ranked America's snowiest counties. Erie County, home to Buffalo, ranked six out of 256 counties. Four other counties made the list. Onondaga came in at 18th. Broome ranked 22nd. Albany County ranked 30, and Monroe County 48. In case 94-inch snowy Buffalo is feeling defeated, first place went to Valdez, Cordova, Alaska, which logs 326 inches of snow a year. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. All right, that's a lot of snow. Thank you, Sarah. You're tuned into the Noon Report, a midweek edition, right here on Family Life. 
Check in sports next. The Syracuse men's basketball team scoring a big ACC win last night on the road. 87-83 your final against NC State. The Orange improved to 17-10 on the season. They host Notre Dame on Saturday at noon. Other college basketball action last night saw the top-ranked team in the country, UConn, go down to number 15, Creighton. Not even close, 85-66 to your final. The fifth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers beat Missouri, and BYU upset Baylor. On the ice, the Islanders snapped a three-game losing skid with a 5-4 overtime win against the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Adam Pellick scoring the game winner just 57 seconds into the extra session. Igor Shesterkin stepped up in the net big time to lead the Rangers to a 3-1 win over the Dallas Stars at Madison Square Garden. Shesterkin made 41 saves to guide the Rangers to their eighth straight victory. The Tampa Bay Rays have added a key player to their lineup this season. They've signed Ahmad Rosario to a one-year, one-and-a-half million dollar deal. The 28-year-old infielder hit 263 last season with the Cleveland Guardians and L.A. Dodgers. A longtime member of the Houston Rockets has died. Robert Reed passed away at his home in Houston on Monday following treatment for cancer. Reed played the first 10 seasons of his 13-year NBA career with the Rockets. And it's official. The college football playoff is officially expanding. The Board of Managers unanimously approving the move to a 12-team playoff model that uh, was adopted yesterday and the new playoff system takes effect for the 2024-25 college football season. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. And still to come on the Noon Report, the Silent Book Club in Pennsylvania. American citizen detained in Russia and how to fight right in your marriage. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In a rare moment of bipartisanship, senators on both sides of the aisle have agreed that social media is not safe for teens. Public concern about social media's ill effects, especially on the mental health of teenagers, has been growing for years. Back in 2018, sociologist Gene Twangy exposed that teens' mental health had been in steep decline since 2012. That's the first year the majority of Americans own smartphones. In 2021, a series of articles in the Wall Street Journal exposed that Instagram fueled body image issues and suicidal ideation, and that Facebook knew this but still failed to do anything about it. In that same year, a congressional hearing featuring Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen focused on these harms. In another congressional hearing just last week, which was called Big Tech and the Child Sexual Exploitation Crisis, lawmakers pulled no punches. Quote, you have blood on your hands, Senator Lindsey Graham said to social media CEOs present at the hearing. And in a post-hearing event at the Heritage Foundation, Senator Marsha Blackburn observed this, quote, For years, big tech companies have made empty promises about how they're going to address this rampant abuse, this malicious content, and the criminal activity that's on their platforms. What we found out is big tech is incapable of policing themselves. They're incapable of putting together best practices, and they're incapable of implementing that. They'd rather go make money, end quote. Now, various members of the Senate Judiciary Committee have introduced a number of bipartisan bills everyone aiming at instituting a duty of care for social media companies to prevent and mitigate harms to minors. 
These bills would allow users to opt out of the platform's algorithms and would require mandatory third-party annual audits to ensure that the platforms are carrying out these duties. Though every citizen should be wary of expanded government oversight, the conservative and libertarian commentators who've criticized lawmakers' plans to regulate big tech as a threat to freedoms are missing something essential about freedom. Near the end of his life, Chuck Colson would often ask his audiences a question, quote, can freedom survive where virtue isn't able to flourish? The answer, of course, is absolutely not. If citizens can't govern themselves through self-discipline, a well-formed conscience, and a robust civil society, they have to be governed by external forces. At the same time, families simply cannot wait for the government or tech companies to act on their behalf. Families who want true freedom have to cultivate the virtue that self-governing requires, both on and off screen. And in this digital age, as with any age, the support of another pre-political institution is also required. Churches must catechize Christians, especially parents, into practices of digital self-control and create communities where families can be supported in dialing back the reach of today's technology on their children. Without this virtue and without this support, both our children and our freedoms may soon be lost. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. If you're a fan of Breakpoint, leave us a review at your favorite podcast app. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Partly sunny, pleasant, and mild. High temperatures, 40s to near 50. Partly cloudy tonight. Low temps, mid-20s to mid-30s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. A couple of afternoon rain showers around. High temperatures, 40s to near 50. Be a little wintry mix come tomorrow night, Friday morning, across the eastern twin tiers. Otherwise, on Friday, cloudy, turning colder with a bit of early rain and some late-day flurries. Temperatures on Friday peak in the 40s, but drop into the 30s. All right, Kevin, great work at the Weather Center. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots happening Wednesday, the 21st of February. A U.S. citizen has been detained in Russia, and it's adding to already tense times with the Putin regime. Ksenia Karolina, a 33-year-old ballerina who lived in Los Angeles, is a Russian-American dual national. She was detained on suspicion of treason for allegedly donating money to support Ukraine. Correspondent Richard Engel, the U.S. is warning Americans to get out of Russia now. The White House has announced it will bring new sanctions against Moscow on Friday in connection to the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Former President and 2024 White House hopeful Donald Trump wants to debate his successor during a town hall forum on Fox News last night. Trump said President Biden is obligated to debate. I'll challenge him right now because I think you have an obligation in this case. You really have an obligation to debate. I don't think he's going to debate, though. I really don't think so. Trump's lone opponent for the GOP nomination, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, vows to remain in the race until the last votes are counted. I feel no need to kiss the ring. I have no fear of Trump's retribution. The South Carolina primary is this Saturday, and polls show Haley losing to Trump in her home state. There's been a shift in the nature of the illegal immigration crisis at the southern border. Increasingly, the number of unlawful entries are coming from China. Fox News correspondent Bill Malugin has witnessed it firsthand. The number of Chinese nationals here cannot be overstated. It used to be very rare. I've been covering the border for 
over three years now. We never saw Chinese nationals back in like 2021, early 2022. Now we are seeing them by the hundreds every day. Since October 1st, there have been 20,000 unlawful entries by Chinese citizens. Two men have been charged with murder in the shooting death of a radio disc jockey at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. Local prosecutor Gene Peters Baker. Though it does not bring back our beloved Lisa, it is comforting to know that the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office and the KCPD made it a top priority to seek justice. Officials say an argument began when one of the men accused the other of staring at him. Two teenagers also face charges. Here's to your health. Excessive amounts of niacin can lead to a heightened risk of heart disease. Researchers at the Cleveland Clinic found that a byproduct from excess amounts of the B vitamin can be a major factor for cardiovascular problems. Niacin is common in Western diets, promoted as a way to fight cholesterol and a nutritional deficiency. From our Oops file today, a roofing company in Oklahoma took the roof off the wrong home this week. Corresponded Matt Piper. Deborah and Scott Center were five hours away from home. Oh my gosh, we didn't order a roof. When they got a call from Doug Gray of Grayco Roofing. I think it was about 80% off when they realized the mistake. And that's when we get the phone call. Well, I gave him a call and just, you know, I had to be humble. We've made a big mistake. The mistake? His workers went to the wrong home in Edmond, Oklahoma. It was really pretty it's funny. Crazy. It was a $30,000 mistake for the company. But as for the centers. We're very happy with it. It's really better than what we had. That is Matt Piper reporting from Edmond, Oklahoma. Talk about two worlds colliding. Check this out. The world's tallest man and the world's shortest woman came together yesterday in California. She literally fit in his shoe. No joke. There are pictures to prove it. A 41-year-old from Turkey named Salton Kosin is 8 feet 3 inches tall. 30-year-old Yodi Amji of India is just 2 feet tall. Both have held the title of world's tallest and smallest since 2011. Five years ago, the pair met for the first time in Egypt. This was their first get-together since then. There's a unique club that's writing a new chapter in western Pennsylvania. Family Life's Brian Query tells us all about it. The rules are simple. No homework, no assignments, no small talk. Just show up on time with whatever you want and most importantly, no talking. It's the Silent Book Club and it's becoming quite the story. Teresa Torlone discovered Silent Book Club, a global organization, while scrolling through TikTok late one night. She immediately sent the video to her best friend Amanda, and within 30 minutes, they had an Instagram account made, emailed the founders, and were off to the races. They started a chapter in western Pennsylvania that started with a handful of people and now regularly sees 60 or more and continues to grow. Silent Book Club began in the United Kingdom and is currently in 60 countries with 500 chapters worldwide. The concept has revitalized the idea of joining a book club. So if you like to read and you're an introvert, then this club might be the one for you to check out. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. This is the Noon Report, a Wednesday edition on Family Life. 
Good afternoon. I'm Family Life News anchor Sarah Harnish. Every other Wednesday, we come to you with real answers from a biblical worldview. With me is Christian counselor Chris Anderson. Hey, Chris. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? Today's topic is fighting correctly in your marriage. If you can communicate and you can resolve conflict, then you've knocked out a good number of things that can seriously harm a marriage. Two weeks ago, Julie and John Gottman, they're really well known for their studies that can predict divorce accurately more than 90% of the time, came out with a brand new book called Fight Right. They suggest that you lead with how you feel and not with what the other person did. Can you show me what that looks like? Mm -hmm. Because I know that it disables offense, but Mm -hmm. walking it out is irritating to me. Yeah, it's the heart behind what is going to be said, as well as the way things that are being said, you know, your tone of voice, the words that you're choosing. The more accusations that are being directed at our loved ones, the less they will be willing to productively listen and engage in problem-solving conversations. So when we say something like, you did this to me, as opposed to, well, when this happened, this is how I felt. Okay, so using terms that share how it comes across to you is way different than doing it as an attack or a personal accusation. The tip that most of my clients have found that works the best is to be willing to take a time out when discussions begin to get a little heated. But if you do that, you need to agree on the length of the time of that time out and then come back and finish the conversation. Many times the time out allows for emotions to cool and for reason and rationality to return, remembering that the person you're discussing things with is the person that you love. Also, if you cannot find a solution with just the two of you, don't hesitate to ask for some help. Another idea too there is to write out the conversations that you need to have. I often suggest to clients write out the responses and if needed, you can revise and edit what you've written. And sometimes you can have someone read it over too to give you feedback on how it sounds, you know, what that tone is of your voice. And then folks, they can either give it to their loved one or they can stand there and read it to them and then allow the conversation to flow beyond that. But again, remember when there's a conflict, that process of making up is an important part of the question. You know, research also says that couples that are really good about making up after a fight, they enjoy more good times together and have a lower divorce rate. I had heard some studies somewhere about five positive interactions to every one negative interaction to keep your love tank filled. Why Mm -hmm. is conflict resolution so important? I think sometimes conflicts won't actually be resolved completely, but they'll be better handled when they arise. There are just some issues that couples may never fully come to agree on. But if your efforts to see the issue from your spouse's vantage point, if you make efforts to do that, and you remember that you love this other person, it's going to really soften your approach and soften your heart towards them and allow you to see them as God sees them. That's a really big one there. And also at other times with other disagreements, maybe full resolution might be an option and that's great. But don't lock yourself into thinking that all issues are going to be fully resolved. And also don't lock yourself into thinking that just because someone sees an issue differently automatically makes them wrong or sinful. It may not be. Make sure you're using God's word properly in the right context to help you both navigate concern. How can you see and hear your spouse today, but also every day? Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a book that I like and recommend to my clients, and it's called Are You Really Listening? Keys to Successful Communication by Paul Donahue and Mary Siegel. Like every non-Bible source of literature, it's best to use God's word to measure these sources of literature up against to make sure that they're in line with God's word. But there are some really good tips in this book. You can actually learn to listen better and learn why it may be hard for you to actually listen. What's your number one tip to keep a marriage intact? 
Wow, tough question. Um, because like snowflakes, no two marriages are alike. But if I had to choose just one tip, I would say turn to God's word as often as you can when dealing with conflict and seek outside help from a therapist who is solidly grounded in God's word. But I will say this, if you are being abused physically or emotionally, please get help and keep yourself safe. Do not stay in danger. Remember, this is not going to bring God any glory and it's certainly not going to draw others to Christ if you are in a marriage or a relationship where you are being abused. It's Christian counselor Chris Anderson. Real Answers comes to you every other Wednesday. You can hear more of this feature at familylife.org slash news podcasts. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Friendly high pressure is responsible for the nice day we've been enjoying today. We will find that high squeezed out of the region as a cold front approaches. That'll bring us some late week rain and colder air and a bit of snow as we head toward the weekend. Just a bit. For this afternoon, partly sunny, pleasant and mild. High temperatures 40s to near 50. Partly cloudy tonight. Low temps mid 20s to mid 30s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a couple of afternoon rain showers around. High temperatures, 40s to near 50. Be a little wintry mix come tomorrow night, Friday morning, across the eastern twin tiers. Otherwise, on Friday, cloudy, turning colder with a bit of early rain, then some late-day flurries. Temperatures on Friday peak in the 40s, but drop into the 30s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally at noon, if the laundry leaves you missing your socks, you are not alone. Bree Tennis has our report. British scientists say the average person loses about one sock a month in the laundry. That's a dozen a year, over 1,100 in a lifetime, and they're never a matching set. They say socks disappear in the washer and dryer equally, leaving a trail of orphans. And there's no sock monster. In the washer, socks get lodged in the agitator. In the dryer, it's the lint trap. The solution, use a washing bag, pin your socks together, or just buy more socks. I'm Bree Tennis. All right, Bree, good to know. I'm not the only one that has that problem. And that's our world, the world we live in. Wednesday, the 21st of February. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News Podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.